Well, hello, and welcome back to AOPA's Pilot Information Center podcast series. Our topic for this podcast episode is aircraft upgrades. This episode is brought to you by AOPA Aviation Finance. For more information, you can visit their website at aopafinance.com or call 800-62-PLANE. That's 800-627-5263 for more information on aircraft finance. This episode is also brought to you by AOPA's Insurance Services. If you fly it, we insure it. To find out more about their services, visit the website at insurance.aopa.org or call 800-622-AOPA, 800-622-2672 for more information. I'm Ferdy Mack with AOPA's Pilot Information Center here in Frederick, Maryland. Joining me today for the podcast is Rodney Martz. Rodney is one of AOPA's Senior Aviation Technical Specialists here in the Pilot Information Center, who's also an aircraft owner and pilot. Hi there, Rodney. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Nice to be here. Nice to have you. Uh, to my right is Rodney, and to my left, also joining us, is Mark Milkovitz. Mark is also a Senior Aviation Technical Specialist with AOPA, as well as being a certificated FAA airframe and power plant mechanic and commercial pilot and flight instructor. Or in our vernacular, Mark is an A&P and CFI. Thanks for being here, Mark. Hello, thanks for having me. Great. All right, so let's get started with a little bit of motivation as far as uh, why we're sitting here talking about this, a little bit of background. Um, you know, what, what is it that, that members might be after when in their quest, whether they're looking at an aircraft that might be something they consider putting in their hangar or it's already in their hangar, and they're thinking, what now? What's next? I'd like to put a little more shine on the apple. Yep, Ferdy, I understand. Um, we're, we're often uh, tasked with the point of, do we want to upgrade the aircraft we have? Or maybe there is another better airframe, a different model with a little different capability that we'd like to consider uh, purchasing and then upgrading. So that's uh, kind of always the uh, dilemma we're going to talk about. Uh, and from a motivational point there, like just like any other purchase, um, here in the Pilot Information Center, we talk to members about probably trying to select the aircraft that meets 80% of their missions. Um, if you can do that, uh, you can generally satisfy the type of thing that you'd like to do when you fly. And, you know, keeping in mind, um, if you occasionally want to fly the larger, the faster, the more complex, or the more unique, or the more aerobatic airplane, you can often rent those, and uh, that's an inexpensive way to meet uh, a higher percentage of your missions. Uh, own something that you'll fly 80% of the time, and uh, you can always rent if you want to fly something special, for instance, for another 20%. So I think that's a good way to think about it. Um, other other areas of concern or things to be thinking about an upgrade, uh, for instance, uh, we here at AOPA recently purchased uh, a group, a block of uh, Cessna 152s for upgrading in the reimagined aircraft program. So, and, and if out there in the field, if any of our members have seen those those bright yellow 150s or 152s, for perhaps even as recently at Lakeland here at Sun and Fun. Just a few weeks ago. Or mm -hmm. even I ran into someone who said, hey, I just happened to be at XYZ Airport in Georgia a few weeks ago, and what do you know, I was there on the same day that there were two of them there. So we're even hearing from members, not just staff, that these airplanes are out there, they're getting seen, yeah. We can share some of the, some of the lessons relearned, I think, with those purchases. Um, Everything went pretty well with that, uh, but we can talk about the uh, the way we approach that and uh, how things are progressing and uh, how that relates to your own type of upgrade. I think that's important because members do ask about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just to add to what Rodney is saying, I think it's really good to do a, uh, a an assessment of your aircraft you currently have uh, and and kind of compare it to what you think you might want or what you might need. Because if, if it's a matter of speed or performance or something like that, it might be a engine upgrade for your older airframe that could give you that as opposed to, say, like a, a whole new airframe. Because I know I've flown the older, older 172 airframes with the 180 horse upgrades, and that, that makes quite a difference, even more so than the more modern 180 horse hmm. 172s. For some reason, those those uh, upgraded 180 horse older Cessnas really, really can move. So like and a have good, like, 
like a P model, something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they, it, it was a, a quite a noticeable difference. <laughs> so that's that's another option too when you're thinking about upgrading. Uh, so yeah, I just talked to a member on the phone a few minutes ago uh, who was looking to sell his uh, Beach Sundowner and uh, upgrade uh, for more speed. Uh, potentially speed and performance and range associated with that to a, a, an F33A Bonanza. Um, and even though there there was, in his particular circumstance, more more of a range of uh, dollars for a more capable airplane, he was really thinking about, uh, he still had the same length of trips. Now in this case, his missions might still be the same, but he realized um, he could... Uh, pull the throttle back on the new Bonanza or the upgraded Bonanza, uh, burn the same gas as a Sundowner or less, uh, and uh, arrive at the same time in a little more comfort and a little more equipment, uh, a little more instrument capability. So that's how he was approaching his uh, same missions as to do it easier uh, rather than do it faster. That's a good point. The um, things, we can talk a little bit about the... um, Maybe the age of the aircraft. We've got a note on our uh, kind of our sheet here. We're looking at uh, you know, talking about you know what age of aircraft to buy and what kind of uh, situation we're looking at there. Generally, I've seen that almost all airframes after about nineteen sixty, the, the early to mid nineteen sixties, anything after sixty two, three, or sixty five, depending on the model. Um, either fortunately or unfortunately, as the case might be, is still very much like the modern airframe as far as window configuration, cabin size, a, a general visibility, mm-hmm. uh, and engine capable, engine, uh, which particular engine might be in that given airframe. So anything after mid-60s, take a look at that and you'll probably see it's very much like uh, the most modern or latest model of that type of aircraft that's available. So that just gives you an idea on the time frame you can look at and something you might want to consider is uh, give your your current aircraft if you own a current aircraft a thorough inspection because as you know Rodney as we found out it's not really worthwhile upgrading avionics and modifying an airframe that might have some corrosion issues wouldn't you say that is correct Um, somewhat surprising to me we did have to turn down two or three Cessna 152s that we looked at in the field uh, for corrosion issues. We didn't expect that. They weren't, uh, they weren't in an area that where you might necessarily expect corrosion from weather conditions. Um, of course, like any airplane in the States, uh, they weren't always in that location, so they've traveled around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, yes, a thorough look throughout the airplane and it's not, uh, you know, it's not hidden, hidden, not necessarily hidden corrosion. It's just a, a basic thorough inspection. Right, right. And so, uh, I, I seem to remember looking at one of those planes that you, you said, "Hey, Mark, let, why don't you go look at that plane to see what you think?" And uh, yeah, unfortunately, it, it was uh, had a little bit more corrosion than what uh, we wanted to deal with. So, that's one thing to consider. You don't want to be putting twenty thousand dollars in avionics in an aircraft that that could have. A substantial airframe issue so that's you want to you want to make sure you have a good solid foundation to upgrade exactly it's the old notion of building your house on a foundation of sand yes type thing yes <clears throat> right so when we talk about some of these top line items like corrosion and t- aircraft time uh, aircraft age uh, we're, we're not just we're not coming at it from the perspective of concerns with respect to an aircraft you might purchase we're also talking really specifically because we're uh, sort on the topic of upgrades here, talking about the aircraft you likely already have in your hangar as far as take stock, check, and on, check on where you're at before you move forward, which is a bit of a, of a backwards look as far as whether it was treated with corrosion X versus kept in a salty climate, or how much that engine's been run on an annual basis over the past 20 years, you know, the, uh, as well as other things like maintenance and logbooks. Um, uh, do you want to go into logbooks there for a moment? Um. Yeah, we, we, we can also address the uh, reference to a relative uh, airframe time. Does, does a high or low airframe time make a difference? Um, 
And essentially, we're determining that's a judgment call on what you really find in the marketplace. Uh, we all know that, yes, we'd all like the lower time airframe, uh, general common sense, but yet we all know too that that low time airframe probably set mm -hmm. somewhere, some point in time, and uh, probably didn't fly as much as it could have or should have. Uh, and we don't know the status of uh, what that uh, entailed with the with the engine then. I, I was going to say exact same thing with the engine, a low time engine, but if it was overhauled in 1985, mm. uh, who knows how long and where that engine's been sitting and what condition it's in. Everything from the condition of the cam and the crank to the flexible hoses, scat tubing, right. fuel lines, fuel bladder, tires, well, maybe there are elastic bungees in the gear system. Mm -hmm. yeah, those things that don't, don't, don't hold up with the passage of time. Rodney, how, how would you assess uh, missing logbooks? Uh, missing logbooks are generally like a damage history. Um, the VREF guide uh, does have a kind of a sliding scale chart for damage history. Um, and we, t although there's not a specific reference for lost logs, and of course we know missing logs or records are really subject to how complex the airplane and systems might be. Obviously it's more important on a complex twin than it is on a fabric covered tail dragger as far as uh, missing logs and what you can determine from that from the records uh, but again the sophistication of the airplane makes a difference uh, the scale in our VREF guideline for depreciation oh, I'm sorry for damage is like a depreciation and basically in the first year or so it could be as high as 20 or 25 percent tending to taper off uh, after that point in time and I think logbooks are generally one would treat in the same way. You will have though buyers and dealers and brokers um, who wouldn't buy any airplane with lost logs. So you also run into that uh, spectrum which is a factor. So um, much of the time our advice would be make sure you have complete logs. You just have uh, much more options that way. Of course you do realize you can mitigate concern about lost logs and damage by either through uh, AOPA's title vendor, which is Aerospace Reports in Oklahoma City, or directly from FAA at a, a similar inexpensive price. You can get copy of the FAA records, everything that was kept on that airplane, registration and airworthiness, and that would include 337 forms, which is a, a major alteration or repair. So. The lack of any 337 records held by the FAA should mean that the aircraft had no major repairs, meaning it had no major damage. So that's the mitigation, but that's not a 100% correlation. And again, the sophistication of the airplane uh, might change your opinion on whether you know how much you uh, how much you weight lost logs. But that does come up. And, and just to be clear, obtaining those records from FAA registry or through a title services vendor, that's not a silver bullet. That doesn't completely and over, you know, 100% fix the lost logs. That's an indication towards what might have been in them. Exactly. And you'd still have to go through the steps, for instance, of having the A&P verify uh, the AD compliance and if in lieu of any evidence performing an annual inspection in order to make those steps returning towards airworthiness nonetheless, right? Exactly. Okay. Right, and kind of going on, on what Rodney said, lost logs, if you have a few years that are lost from 1970, definitely not as big of an issue as uh, the, the log books from last year are missing. Mm -hmm. So that, that also is something that, that really does take into consideration. So, mm -hmm. and I think we've touched on damage history. Typically a deduction of 25% or so to start with, but tapering off such that uh, VREF's judgment after eight or ten years, uh, any concern about that damage history is removed from the equation. However, that's uh, VREF's opinion, which we're providing if you call and talk with us, but uh, you'll find the marketplace, if you're looking at two equal airplanes, otherwise exactly alike except for damage history, uh, it's, it's, it's again, uh, a personal situation where the individual would probably 
by, by general human nature, choose the airplane without any damage. So therefore, in the real world, we really can't say the damage history ever goes away. Right. That's the judgment. But when you, you're talking about number of years and, and damage history in the same sentence, so what you're telling me is that the longer it's been since the damage occurred and was repaired satisfactorily, the less the monetary effect on the aircraft value? Right. That's what VREF presents us. That's right. <clears throat> so if, if I had mm -hmm. you know, a, a wing ding 25 years ago, you could think of that as being far remote as far as uh, in the past as well as the, the how larger, how minimal in that case the effect would be on the on the Right. VREF basically says after about 10 years, concern for that damage goes away in the monetary equation. Okay. Right, a good example of that would really be like a gear up. Uh, somebody would be a lot more concerned about a gear up landing, you know, within the last year or two because it involves engines and props and all that, as opposed to a gear up landing 10, 15 years ago. Then human nature is kind of, you kind of go in and say, oh, okay, it's been flying for that long. It's obviously been repaired properly, so, mm -hmm. or else they would have seen it. So uh, that that's usually a good example I like to use as far as... Uh, damage history. Okay, good. So let's uh, let's see if we can swing the lens uh, away from the past and, and more towards the future as far as areas of work, uh, areas of interest for upgrades. Uh, where do you want to start with that? Oh, we'll start with those electrons flowing. Yeah, it seems to be the most popular thing, especially now with ADS-B coming out. So I would say avionics, wouldn't you, Rodney? Absolutely. So, I don't know what uh, some of the big avionics upgrades that we're uh, talking about now, which is one I mentioned, ADSB. Uh, I don't know if you can call it as much of an upgrade or as a necessity coming here in five years, but that could mean a lot um, when the time comes. You know, does a plane have ADSB capability or doesn't it? Uh, that could make a big difference. I would expect to see that be a you know a, a binary yes or no type of thing as far as uh, aircraft valuation for VREF or aircraft blue book and for yeah. our purposes when members call and say hey you know I'm looking to buy or sell what's this aircraft worth well is it equipped with ADS-B you know the, the subtext there might be well what unit is it equipped with does it merely comply with the out standard or does it have in as well but the closer we get to that deadline, January 1st, 2020, and whether or not you're equipped at all to meet the legal mandate, it, it might might even draw a premium there for a while, depending on how easy it is to get your aircraft into the shop. Right? Yeah, I think it would. Uh, and again, we went right to ADSB, but I think the bigger dollar cost right, right now, or the bigger dollar concern, is uh, basic uh, glass panel or not, the presentation, basic, uh, mm -hmm. basic uh, PFD. At least, uh, you know, I think the premiums right now are, are say, like the Garmin touchscreens. Uh, it used to be the 43530s. Now, those have kind of taken a back seat to the new, the new Garmin touchscreens. And so uh, that's... Rodney, have you seen the, the a difference in the re-refs as far as the new touchscreens and the values of, say, like the 430s and, and 530s at all? Well, you, you see the V-REF shows the 430s and the 530s have kind of flattened out. Mm -hmm. um, where they may be showing at a, a fixed figure that's uh, still strong, it may be uh, it may be sixty or seventy or even eighty percent of the uh, the one time new purchase price on that unit. But we're still talking about a four thirty has now been on the market for something like twelve years, I believe. Or at least a decade. Uh, yeah, at least a decade. So that I think that's kind of leveled out uh, on the Garmin touchscreens. Um, we have to, I think you're adding those in per VREF uh, currently at 100% of cost or even 105% of cost uh, for, the, for the value of having it done. You opened a good door there, and that is the notion of percent of cost. So, you know, when we talk about avionics, inevitably we're talking about four figures, sometimes easily into the five-figure area as far as ex initial expenditure for the parts plus the installation. Of course, the installation can be non-trivial and can be thousands of dollars as well. So, you know, I if I'm going to put a 430, or if I can still find one, of course, they're no longer available new, or if I'm going to put a Garmin GTN 650, which is its newer counterpart, in my panel, what I'm I think what I'm hearing is depending on if I pick the older versus the newer unit, and if I put 100% of the dollars in, I'm not going to necessarily get 100% of those dollars out when it's time to sell. So. 
If that, at least that's my expectation. You know, what, what's true, the reality? True, that's been the history. Uh, I, think, uh, I think now, though, uh, 430s and 530s have retained a pretty good value. Um, and I think the, the 650s and 750s um, probably bring a bit of a premium if they're already installed, assuming that's the desirable uh, avionics for the particular model aircraft you're looking at. Right, right. But I think that I think they'll hold historically. They don't slide linearly as a dropping. For instance, I don't think they drop five or ten percent each year like avionics used to. I think they uh, stair step. I think they'll. I think right now the six fifty or seven fifty might be worth one hundred and five percent of cost because of the value of getting it done, and they'll they'll hold one hundred percent for a year or two, whereupon they may drop five or ten percent after two or three years. Mm-hmm. And there's the other end of the spectrum as well. Sometimes members will contact us and be and be reasonably so a little disappointed to find that their their Cessna 300 autopilot that came from the factory or their WX10 Storm Scope that originally was quite expensive that units like those are, are little to no value at this point in the market, right? Correct. Correct. Um, the li- it depends on the individual life cycle of the value of that piece of avionics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with the older GPSs, um, they can really lose value because of um, database uh, mm-hmm. availabilities and things like that. So, yeah, be careful when looking at the older GPSs that you know it, it definitely isn't worth the, the time and effort to even maintain them. Sure, like the, the Bendix KLN 89B, uh, the size of the data chips in those is not big enough now to hold every approach in the continental United States. They, they, if there are multiple GPS approaches, they won't always be, all always be in the chip anymore, just due to uh, hardware limitations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and moving on with the avionics, um, <clears throat> brand new, a brand new Garmin transponder I'm not sure how much things like that. Uh, how much of a value that would come if we had a like a four hundred six or a, I'm sorry transponder. If we had a a Mode S transponder or something like that, how much value would that would that really add as much value as people expect, Rodney? Do you think? I believe so for Mode S, but it depends on how it's going to work with future packages. As we approach the ADSB dateline of 2020. Um, not every transponder, not every group of package of equipment are going to work together mm-hmm. right. in, in the best format. There might be a stair step there as far as yes. if they're future-proofed yes. for, yes. for ADSB 1090 extended yes. squitter versus if they need to be completely replaced with something else. Yes, and right, right now we know after Sun and Fun here, we, we have seen new ADSB equipment releases weekly. I'll tell you, one of the coolest boxes I've seen is the one that's a, a form factor, uh, height-wise drop-in replacement in your transponder slot where it's all glass and mm-hmm. shows weather on one side and traffic on the other and is an in-and-out solution. Pretty cool stuff, actually. Yeah. Right, that was pretty neat just to think of it as a slide-in, slide-out type, mm-hmm. type of uh, upgrade. So, uh, what else? Uh, I think um, engine analyzers and, and uh, fuel flow and Things like that, they they add some value, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Digital, ones. yeah, yeah. They've uh, they've held their value pretty well. Mm-hmm. The, the the gem and the EI, the insights, um, are still uh, probably the most popular uh, because they're they're doing the same quality job they did ten years ago, as far as uh, as long as the technology of the presentation technology hasn't changed, I think they're holding their value pretty well. Right, and I think as long as we have the debate of uh, lean of peak and rich of peak and things <laughs> like that, I think that keeps the, the the value of the engine analyzers pretty yeah. up there pretty much. So. Yeah. And in the past few years, uh, some of the comprehensive engine indication packages where you've got a display that's you know two-thirds the size of an iPad mini, basically, and it's got everything from RPM, manifold pressure, oil temperature and pressure, fuel flow, and then CHT and EGT for each cylinder all in one box. And the, the cool thing there is, it, yes, it requires some panel space, but you can take a lot of the factory original gauges out because it's replacing those and is certificated to do so. Exactly. As, as we get into iPad, you guys know that I've been old school, and uh, 
even though iPads have been accessible to me here at AOPA, hadn't really used them that much, uh, except for last fall in delivering uh, one of the donation aircraft that had no other avionics. Uh, I started using the iPad, and after two trips, now it seems like I can't fly without it. So it's just a wonderful thing, and now we know that uh, a lot of the avionics, new avionics packages, have options to Bluetooth out to a to an iPad with enhanced operational characteristics that are just fabulous. Right. Garmin's got a, a inexpensive box that installed costs some fifteen hundred dollars, I think, of called FlightStream, and it'll allow the the certificated installed ADSB electronics to establish a connection to your iPad. It'll provide weather and traffic to be displayed on your iPad. It'll also allow you to send flight plans in either direction. So you could build your flight plan for the flight tomorrow on your iPad tonight at home. When you get in the airplane tomorrow, you hit one button and it dumps the whole flight plan into your GTN 650, 750. Into your certified avionics. Right, exactly. right. Pretty neat stuff. Very neat stuff. And I think this it was surprising, the survey that I saw on one of our daily... Uh, daily electronic aviation emails that we receive here uh, showed that surprisingly 70% of the survey respondents, and again, that's for somebody who was reading their, their aviation email daily, but 70% now use iPads in the cockpit. Wow. So I would think Rodney would be the last person to be a slave to the magenta line, wouldn't you? Bernie? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I've been I've been trying to get an iPad into his hand in a more permanent basis for for years now, and it's, it's interesting to hear that it's happening on its own. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, we got to talk about more power. Yes. My all my planes need more power. You've, you've seen the pic- c- you've seen the picture of that Baron on the wall of my office. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. You're finally talking my language. More power, Scotty. More power. Yes, we got to go faster. Yeah. So that obviously you're talking about engines. Right? Yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to overhaul. I want to upgrade. Upgrade. Okay. Upgrade. My, well, my upgrade is that more power. Right. It's it's not as easy as say like when you're working on your 1970 Chevelle, mm. uh, but it certainly is available out there. I see actually. I just saw that they are coming out with, uh, I forget what the company is, but now have electronic ignition for certified aircraft and engine combinations. So Presumably that, just for one side, not yeah, both? Yeah, so that oh. that's a upgrade modification as a A&P mechanic, I would think, would, would get great benefits from that upgrade. So that's, I just saw that the other week, so that, I was kind of excited to see that. So Along those lines... Uh, generally, what we see, uh, VREF just gives us some guidelines. Technically, VREF only values uh, engine mods from Ram aircraft out of Waco, Texas. Anything else, they say, simply uh, call the manufacturer. Right. But to get a pricing and understanding of what the mod is. But generally, here at AOPA, for an engine upgrade in horsepower uh, under a proper STC for the given airframe, uh, we generally can use 100% of that upgrade value. Right, and one, the one I mentioned earlier was probably the most popular is the 180-horse upgrade for an older Cessna. Yeah. It really improves the performance I, I've experienced firsthand. So, uh, I, I, Others come to mind like the Sparrowhawk conversion for the 152s, uh, the coal mill conversions for uh, for Bonanzas and Barons. I mean, there, there are a lot of options out there. Uh, uh, there's a, there's one to put a what a two eighty two sixty or two eighty five. I think it's Texas Aero yep. engines on yep. the one eighty two and yep. or Peepunk uh, out of the Pacific and Northwest. Uh, if you really want to go upgrade, now a lot of the uh, the turboprop conversions are really nice for the Bonanzas and and ever that are out there. You so. know, I saw a twin turboprop Duke at uh, at. EAA AirVenture at Oshkosh a few years ago, and that kind of blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're they're out there. The upgrades are out there if you if you're ready and willing. We've even got one here local. Someone uh, had an existing PA forty six uh, Malibu airframe and and put the jet prop conversion on it. Yeah, they're very popular. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, it, you know, that's an inter- That's a very interesting example right there. You know, you own a you own a low to mid, you know, quarter to half million dollar airframe piston, and you're, you're going to move to something that, you know, you're talking 
about seven figures for that upgrade kit, and that's where the equation, I always wonder where the breakover point is. Would it make more sense to sell my piston and buy the, the uh, Meridian, or would it make more sense because I've got this, this 350 horse piston Malibu, where I already have the cup holder where I want it, and I already have my 750, and I've already got the sheepskin covers that I like on the seats, and it would make more sense to just go ahead and take everything from the firewall forward and replace it with that turbo or that turbine, that turbo prop. I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. Well, when you're talking one, two million dollars for a whole new airframe, I mean, mm. it, it can make sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Back to airframe again. I think we're we're working down our index towards uh, cosmetic upgrades, paint and interior and mods. Uh, paint and interior are often the first thing the buyer sees. Um, they can be pricey, but yet not nearly as pricey as some of the other uh, avionics and uh, engine mods that we've spoken about. Um, it's some effort to get that uh, airframe painted or work with the interior. And not to mention to get a good paint job. Right? Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine had a <clears throat> Cessna 414. It was a bit of a value proposition when they bought it up front. But when it came back home and had the new paint job on it, you know, I climbed all around it. More curious about the quality of the paint job and the attention to detail. And I could have eaten my lunch off of the surfaces inside that nose gear or even the main wheel wells. I mean, they, they, they uh, stripped and primed and painted everything with excruciating detail. It was really amazing. You know, this was not a backyard uh, brush or Krylon job. So, you know, there are extremes on both ends when you're talking about paint and interior as far as attention to detail. Ex Go ahead, Mark. I was going to say uh, uh, that Earl Shy paint job on that airplane <laughs> could actually deduct from the value as if before you even did it. Yeah. Um, we do get questions here in the PIC of uh, uh, members shopping for uh, paint shops. Um, give us a call. What we look at is the uh, list of paint shops that's available on the, the Aircraft Paint Schemes uh, website uh, as a good source to just have a broad list. But it, this is something where you really have to look at the airplanes that a shop has painted, I think, to satisfy yourself. Mm -hmm. You've got to be that certain in your own judgment and be satisfied. Right, because I think the other thing too is a paint job is more than a paint job. It's it's once you have that paint stripped off, hopefully if they strip it, they have somebody who knows what they're looking at because paint can certainly cover up some some situations you might want to get fixed. And me as an A&P mechanic, I kind of think of that. I, I'd like to make sure a good quality shop who knows what they're doing is is doing it so if they do see something that needs attention they would they would bring it up rather than just paint over it a friend of mine had his uh, piper arrow painted last year and i was a little bit surprised at the amount of extras the shop put in the pricing for fiberglass replacement of plastic parts for improvement of fiberglass existing parts like parts of nose bowls or cowlings uh, but yet, when the job was finished, that was the type of thing you, that you recognized as being superior. Mm. Uh, having taken the time and effort to get rid of the plastic wingtips with a more solid but a professionally done fiberglass STC replacement, even though you know they could have patched or they could have repaired what they had, they made the effort for the straightest, best, strongest replacement part, and that really uh, enhanced the paint quality. Right, so it's so, not, not just the quality of the paint, it's not just the, the finished product, it's not just the application of the paint as far as putting the tape stripes on properly and spraying and not having overspray. Everything before that, that you don't consider ordinarily. Painters always say that uh, paint work is 90%, preparation is 90% of the paint job. Right, right. And like you were saying before, Rodney, that it's that attention to detail that really makes the job, and that's what that's what you're looking for in a shop, and and it's it's not cheap, too. That's one thing to to consider. It's labor hours, like anything else, and uh, that affects the price of any job. 100% understand. 
but you sure get that uh, that wow factor as you're walking up to it at the ramp or in the hangar when you open your door, don't you? You do, and again, that's what I was saying. Even though I was a little bit surprised at the extent of the add-ons, how they added up, uh, in the end, it was worth it because I, you know, I studied the airplane carefully before and after, and they didn't have damage. They just had a, a 1960s airframe that. Uh, this was not its first paint job either. It had been painted in the 80s, and now it was getting another 20-year paint job. Right. Would you say the same can be considered with the interior? Yes. Uh, the biggest thing on interior, and we've seen this in our um, uh, 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 the, the, the giveaway airplanes, the, uh, the airplanes at AOPA, uh, sweepstakes. the sweepstakes airplanes, uh, the attention to the attention to the interior, always attention to detail, but yet the additional small changes or improvements to the interior of our 60s and 70s and 80s airplanes have made such a difference. And these days that might be making sure you have a 24 volt, uh, 12 volt, uh, 12 volt outlet for your iPad available, mm -hmm. where certainly the 60s, 70s and 80s airplanes didn't have that. Even if it was just a cigarette lighter, the enhanced 12-volt capability, even with more than one 12-volt point, can make a lot of value. The, the, additions, of, um, uh, the additions to uh, uh, all types of uh, inter interior trim pieces, the improved cup holder, the improved chart holding device, all of those added significant value if they were thought about and handled in detail. They're, uh, sorry to correct you, Rodney, but they're auxiliary power outlets, not cigarette. Oh, lighters. that's what I meant. Yes. That's what I meant. Thank okay. you very much. Thank you and, very much. And while you're talking about, about fitment, fitment of those replacement interior parts, it's not just obtaining quality plastics. Let's talk about things like headliners and door panels and armrests. It's not just obtaining quality replacement parts. It's making sure they get installed correctly and that the... The, the interference between the door jam on the door side and the frame side, you know, it's those considerations as far as final install quality that, in my mind, really scream out, hey, this is a superior job. It's also details like not just is the leather on the new seat good color and quality and feels supple, but how about maybe the piping or the stitching? Those things draw the eye and right. really say that we really went to a, a high level of detail. And that's one of my concerns is you walk into a shop and you get a bill or a, uh, an estimate on what it would take to, you know, R&R &R the seats and, and put, a, put a new set of uh, uh, foam under them and new leather around them. Oh, and Mr. Mr. Aircraft Owner, we could also put some piping and stitching, some uh, additional cosmetic details on for 10% more. I think more often than not, those owners might be inclined to say, well, you're already charging me thousands and thousands of dollars. I don't need those adornments. But and things like, I'm thinking about our uh, our Sweepstakes 182 from yeah. just a few years ago. It was those little extra details that caught everyone's eye. Yeah. The, the emblems into the seat leather, or like you said, the piping, mm -hmm. the little extras. Right. And, and uh, you made me think about, too, it's, it's who puts it in too, because not everybody, not every A and P mechanic or every service person out there can put in an interior. It takes a certain skill. Because I can, I have no problem getting my hands oily, greasy, and what have you. Don't ask me to put an interior because it's just, it's a whole other skill. I'll tell you what. So to really make it look great, so well, it's more hand fitting. Yeah, yeah, it's craftsmanship. Hand fitting, yeah. Not nuts and bolts. I'm great at nuts and bolts. I can't stand the, the that detail cosmetic stuff. I'm with you on that one. I'll just make it dirty myself. <laughs> oh, speed mods are up. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's a, there's other ways to increase your speed without changing the motor, isn't there? But I've got my big engine. I want to go fast. Well, there. Well, they make you go fast, but it takes more gas. If you do a little speed mod, you could do. Go fast and save some gas. Maybe. Oh, so you're saying the power doesn't power is not linear in adding a speed to my airplane. No, increasing power. We all learn that in oh. basic aerodynamics. Don't oh we? yes, was that a, was that a, 
a factor of four, as I recall, or something like that? I think so, yeah. Oh, okay. That's what the engineers say. Okay, okay. So, yeah, so what, uh, there's things like um, fairings and, and seals and things like that that can uh, increase the speed and performance in there? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, the calls we get in the Pilot Information Center here, uh, we often refer members to the type clubs to find um, STC speed mods. Mm-hmm. But there are companies as well that uh, that work on aircraft uh, more broadly than just uh, the one model that a type club might work with. So uh, you're right, all types of uh, speed mods around... Um, Around the gear, primarily to start with, mm-hmm. but also flap and gap seals, um, all types of uh, uh, trim fairings, as as we know, um, slight changes in the leading edge fairings where it meets the fuselage. Uh, I think those are very uh, often a large factor. It could get even as dramatic as say like. Uh like a, a whole new wingtip that droops, like I've seen them on Cherokees and, and such. Uh, so Different camber on wingtip, different style, yeah. yeah. Trying to uh, change low speed performance with those droop tips, right? Or is that I, high end as well? I think it's just overall better performance. Hmm. Also, you have the uh, vortex generators too. Good point, we need to mention <clears throat> that. Um, almost every, I think every pilot I've ever talked to, every article I've ever seen, generally thought the VG kits were very worthwhile dollar-wise and uh, performance-wise. Right. I think we even have a, an article that Dave Hirschman did mm-hmm. on his RV yep. that where he put the, uh, the, uh, the Vortex generators on. Yep. So. Not knowing any differently one way or the other, prior to speaking to Dave, I, I, I put VGs in the icebox in my mind as far as that. Something interesting to consider. I don't know anything about them, so I'll just reserve judgment. But once you talk to Dave, you know he made it made a very clear case that as far as you know, significant handling improvements. Uh, in his case, roll rate on his aerobatic aircraft, I think, as well as low speed stability. Mm-hmm. He really painted a, a positive picture on vortex generators, and, and they're relatively simple to install as well. So there's, I don't think there's that great uh, initial cost for them as mm-hmm. well. On values of mods, we often get this question. Uh, VREF and and in the past Blue Book would kind of leave that as a judgment for the dealer using the Blue Book. But generally, they've said mods are fifty to eighty percent of value uh, added to the fifty to eighty percent of cost mm-hmm. as to value added. But um, like we said, we use a hundred percent on engines and props as upgrades typically, but again, the situation would really be the more popular the mod, the higher the value. Uh, even though that's somewhat judgmental, um, we think we can help you get pretty close on looking at that. Well, essentially it's worth what people are willing to pay for. Exactly. So that's, that's what the, that would be. And if you're gonna talk about popularity of mods, let's let's round it all out with uh, lighting upgrades. Okay. Uh, instead of spending 25 50 $75 a pop for incandescent landing light bulb replacement, for example, and or to maybe even improve the degree to which my aircraft is visible. Lots of folks uh, the past 10 years have been starting to transition from incandescent to uh, HID, high-intensity discharge lights, much like what is on most modern cars these days. But now, in the past year or two, we're seeing transition even from HID to LED fixtures. So tell me a little bit about cost and complexity and value there. Well, I'm not sure as far as the values. I think an aircraft owner, existing aircraft owner, or somebody who's owned a plane and maintained one, will see the value in, say, like an LED light over, uh, say, a a new purchaser. Mm Because they don't realize how much those lights cost and how much they go out. So Mm -hmm. I think uh, in that perspective... The LED or some lighting mods might not get as much attention as other things. What are your thoughts, Rodney, on that? Well, I, I think we can point out that AOPA, for instance, in the uh, in the one seventy twos that we operate, just now for the first time have switched over to uh, LED landing lights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, I think the price on those mark were 
modestly expensive, correct me, they were about 250 or 275 In the hundreds of dollars range yes. per, per assembly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Versus... Per bulb. Mm-hmm. Per bulb. Versus our typical GE bulb was in the 25 to $30 right. area. Yeah. Right around there. But um, we were replacing those, what, every uh, 60 days? Yeah, about maybe 50, 60 operating hours or so, yeah. It was. It was. Yeah, it was quite often. So we've made the judgment ourselves that we think the uh, LED lights, uh, even at the increased dollars, are going, yeah. going to be worth it for us. Yeah. So uh, definitely for an aircraft owner, I would say it's a good investment. Uh, as far as considering it towards a resale value or valuation, if you're selling the aircraft. Yeah, we don't have a VREF yeah. doesn't have a value for that type of thing, but uh, mm-hmm. owners would recognize that uh, there's value in yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. And the other uh, the other lighting upgrades that I see that I think are worthwhile, uh, good quality wingtip strobes. Um, most every I think most every new aircraft would have wingtip strobes these days. As a, it's tr- still probably mm-hmm. a factory option, but I bet almost everyone comes out of the new factory with that. Um, so I see those good quality uh, multi-flash units uh, adding uh, adding virtually 100% of what they cost initially. Um, I think their power packs probably run at least 10 or, 10 or 15 years, um, what I know about the cycles on those. Uh, but again, I, so I think wingtip strobes are good. Um, I see a number of people uh, adding the kind of wigwag lights. That's the landing light in the wingtip that alternately flash. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, those really get, I, I see those in the air, I get my attention. Those those can be more visible than uh, tip strobes, but only if you're looking right, only if you're, only if they're, the angles are correct that they're pointing right at you. So, yeah. but uh, again, I see some value there. Yeah, when the aircraft equipped with those types of lights is coming from base to final and you're on the ground at the airport, you can tell when they're just about lined up at the runway. Boom, now all of a sudden they're very bright. Yes, mm-hmm. right. Well, what have we missed? Any concerns? Any areas that we that members should be uh, wary of or, or high bang for the buck or low bang for the buck? Well, we didn't talk much about, um, and there's less to talk about in the area of uh, gross weight enhancement. Hmm. Uh, we know Bonanzas with wing t- the wingtip tanks can generally uh, upgrade or uh, increase their gross weight as well as their fuel range by having the uh, extra uh, tanks on tips. Um, that's also true for Cessnas with the Flint tank series uh, and, n- and numerous other models. Although all the, all of the uh, all of the wing tank upgrades modestly pricey, uh, we do add, and VREF generally talks about to a cer- certain extent, there is value added in long-range tanks mm-hmm. on any base model aircraft uh, for sure. It's right. a judgment call as to how much, whether it's a two-seat trainer or whether it's a fast cross-country airplane. Um, so fuel tank addition, I think, is has its value, has its place, uh, as does the gross weight increase, although not that many gross weight increases, STCs are, cert- are, are available for certified aircraft, I don't mm. think. But where they are, I think it can be of value. Right. One thing uh, I forgot to mention, too, with avionics, an upgrade could be with the autopilot. If uh, that certainly could be something to consider, you know, you have a uh, in a, a plane with an older original Sing- autopilot, single servo, single servo, yeah. Uh, if, uh, upgrade could add some value, actually uh, improve your your flying situation as well, wouldn't you think? Absolutely, think absolutely. VREF does give yeah. uh, values for for premium up premium autopilots. Correct. So. That's uh, one area that I think uh, would pay off. Other areas that come into play occasionally, um, uh, thicker windshields or thicker side windows for noise reduction. Um, I'm familiar with those on Bonanza, and they're fairly easy to add, um, modestly priced, and I think they do a good job. 
Um, I The shop I used to work with here on the field uh, had a fairly good business in upgrading the standard Cessna 172 windshields to a thicker, thicker plexiglass for both strength and noise reduction. Um, I think those were uh, generally a, a solid buy, particularly if there was any question if you needed to upgrade your wind or replace your windshield anyway. If you had a slightly smoky windshield or any kind of cracks that required a replacement, definitely think about replacing it with a thicker material. And that's what going from a quarter inch stick to three eighths, I think. Correct. It might be something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the impact protection was a bit of a plus, but the, the noise reduction was a big plus. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, other noise reduction on aircraft like uh, uh, increased insulation or a different type of in- insulation is available, but generally that's on the cockpit side of the firewall, which you wouldn't do unless you were doing a major major upgrade, completely stripping the airplane, or you really wouldn't replace uh, you know, side uh, side cabin uh, uh, sound protection unless you were doing an interior probably as well. But again, if you if you are doing those type of things, look at in replacing the uh, sound absorption insulation because there have been a lot of enhancements in that area on uh, quality of product and the performance in the in the 30 or 40 years since your airplane was made. Hmm. All right. I think we've uh, we've been around the cul-de-sac and gone down a few of the avenues as far as areas of uh, most routine contact. You know, members call us about any and all sorts of questions regarding aircraft changes and upgrades and uh, buying and selling. Uh, this has been a pretty good treatment, gentlemen, so I appreciate your time and uh, insight. Thanks for being here. Thanks, sure. Rudy. All right. Yeah. And to our listeners, thanks so much for joining us here as well. If you have any aviation-related questions as part of your ARPA membership, you can contact our Pilot Information Center staff Monday through Friday at 800-USA-AOPA. That's 800-872-2672. And then press Option 2 on your phone. Where you can also email us your questions at pilotassist at aopa.org. And don't forget to check out our website for more information as well at www.aopa.org. Thanks, we'll see you.